This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Howdy do. What are we talking about today, Puka? We are discussing the Bygone Bestiary, a World of Darkness supplement that isn't technically a Changeling book, but is meant for crossover with a bunch of lines, including Changeling the Dreaming. And so yeah, it explicitly says it's about it's for Changeling, among other games. So. Yeah, despite, frankly, a lot of evidence to the contrary. <laughs> yes, we'll get into that. <laughs> but yeah, so we felt like it deserved a mini-sode rather than a full one, because mm-hmm. the connections with Changeling are, shall we say, light. Although it does say in the credits, developed by Ian Lemke, among others, mm-hmm. so I guess he was in the room. Because he, he did other games, though, too, right? Yeah, but I assume with the developer credit, that's in reference yeah. to his management of Changeling. So, what is this book? I guess we'll start with. I think, honestly, for anyone who's played Dungeons and Dragons, I think the best parallel is the Monstrous Manual or the Monster mm-hmm. Compendium, whatever monster book. So it's it's primarily a book that is intended to help you build mythic beasts for your campaign. Mm-hmm. So at the time that this book was released, the Actually, it says very explicitly in the credits page that Mage the Sorcerer's Crusade, which was the historical line for Mage, was about to be released. So this is more intended to have that kind of medieval fantastic element. So you can bring dragons into your game. You can bring griffins into your game, etc. Oh, and, and just to put it, it's published in 1998. That might be relevant yeah. for people to fit it into. That's where we're at. <laughs> yep. Primarily, it reads like a mage book. It it walks like a mage book. It talks like a mage book. It breathes incandescent fire like a mage yep. book. So, yeah, that's a, there's the question of what's a bygone, and I think that's more of a question for Mage the podcast. Yeah, I'm, listen to it. I'm still a bit confused by what a bygone is exactly. But well, I have I have a quote here from the introduction that I think sort of spells it out pretty well. After we get through the fiction of Christian mage girl and pagan witch girl working together to rescue a unicorn before some hunters capture it, which is very typical of Sorcerer's Crusade fiction. On page mm-hmm. 13, we have this block where it says, The Bygone Bestiary is a book of options. In it, many of the grandest creatures of human legend emerge from their hiding places and present themselves at your door, not as objects to be slain, but as beasts of living imagination, not as monsters, but as characters. Such characters offer plenty of possibilities to a Dark Ages, Mage, Sorcerer's Crusade, Werewolf, or Changeling Chronicle. So that last bit is why we're including it. But note that something like modern vampire is not included on the list because it wouldn't fit tonally. Yeah. So the bygones with a capital B is the term of record for mythic beasts. And they're being presented here to be fleshed out as thoroughly as NPCs, not just foes to be slain or captured or whatever. So they're given lore and backstory as thoroughly as, well, the the core books, at least for any of the other lines, like each splat for the bygones has its own little write-up, you know, 
we have another quote later on where it says, the bygone bestiary is an excellent resource for storytellers who wish to include fantastic creatures in their changeling chronicles. Most often, magical beasts that are encountered are of the chimerical variety, though it's always possible that a surviving bygone could still exist somewhere out there, waiting to be discovered by adventurous changelings. The search for a surviving bygone, perhaps a dragon or a griffin, the symbol of the High King's court, could be the focus of a story or even an entire chronicle. Yeah, and that, that's how I think of this book, too. Like, it mentions working as chimera, but... They're fantastic beasts. Any of these beasts here definitely could... You could make a chimera that is one of these. Some of them are do show up in various changeling books, right? The same sort of idea. Yeah. But I, I think of this as a... No, you're actually encountering them. <laughs> like, they're they're mundane. Not mundane. What's the word for that? Autumn? But not really autumn. Fleshly? Fleshly, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be enchanted to see them. <laughs> but. Yeah. Which I kind of like, actually. I like that mm-hmm. the book specifies that the actual bygones are quite rare, and for changelings, the chimerical expressions of them are more common. But I like the fact that you could have a motley who's totally used to going out and finding chimerical unicorns and slaying chimerical dragons, and then, oh, here's a real one that's actually knocking shit over. It's like... Yeah, and it's you're you're not just taking chimerical damage at that point, right? Attacks you, <laughs> and you're not the only one because there are probably humans running and whatever. Mm-hmm. And this gets away from so in Mage, especially I think Mage Twenty really kind of lays this out further. When you have the mechanics of things like unbelief and saying bygones can't stay in the real world, changeling. I mean, yeah, you can have banality, and you could say, oh, the banality drives away dragons pretty quickly or whatever, but it's a lot more hand wavy and a lot less fleshed out. Yeah. It's usually covered up with, Oh, the, if, if you tried to unify the cosmology, you'd say, Oh, the mists right. <laughs> protect from unbelief. There you yeah. Go. Another note in the book mentions that like the true Fae, which I guess you could kind of read that as lost ones. If a bygone who survived in the autumn world is taken from their protected abode, they may die presumably from the weight of that banality. Mm-hmm. So, that's a different kind of story hook where they're not necessarily a threat, but they have to be kept alive. Yeah. Probably a more benevolent type. Creating a hidden bygone nature preserve. That's an interesting chronicle idea. Or maybe one is occupying a glade or something. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, it's living here and this is going to be a problem. So we have to move them. But how do you move the like thing that can turn you to stone by looking at you or something? Right. <laughs> there is a note in here that given the character creation rules and everything, you could actually have these as PCs, although they strongly recommend against it. But I'm not going to stop anyone from running a unicorn game. I've had PC Chimera show up a few times on running games. So there this you doesn't go. seem that much more of a stretch. Well, and now in C20, we have Lycians and we have mm-hmm. all these other sort of options for building them out. It's interesting that you mentioned mechanics earlier because it was already a heavy lift to get the stuff from this book into Changeling when it came out. And now with the 20th anniversary edition, it's like you have to kind of take it even a step further. So even though I wouldn't say necessarily, yeah, go out and buy this book so you can design Chimera. It is interesting to kind of look back and see how it was handled before the mechanics were tightened up. Mm -hmm. And it's also from the point of view of the medieval period, or I guess early Renaissance period, perhaps. So a lot of the lore is very different from what you might have in modern times. It will have been forgotten or dismissed or replaced or had the 
overt Christian theology filed off, you know. And some of these, I remember when I first read this in my youth, there were creatures in here that I had never heard of until I read this book. Yeah, there's a lot of these I've seen in other role-playing games, but there's a few. We're not going to go blow by blow on these, but I I, I just find that there's a ghoul that looks like a satyr, and that just... (laughs) (laughs) It's called a ghoul that looks like a satyr. That's just fun for lots of cross-world of darkness name confusion. (laughs) And it raises the question of like, at this point, so D&D, for example, drew a lot of its monsters from mythology as well as fantasy. Mm-hmm. But I think in a lot of cases probably has shaped the popular imagination of what insert monster here looks like more mm-hmm. than the traditional kind of thing. So it's like, what does that do to the chimerical expression of a ghoul in different parts of the world mm-hmm. at different points in time to different cultures? So it's interesting to think about, but you, should we get into, I mean, yeah, we're not going to go through every single monster, but did you have any other? I want to call out for some reason, I can't think of a book like this for any role-playing game I've read, or maybe not a book, but like at some point in a line, there's always a periton. And yes, <laughs> I don't get it. Why are there... I also have that as one of my call outs. So I'm going to get to that. Yeah. It's just so common in role-playing game supplements. Before getting into that, I wanted to just point out, so the structure for the book for chapters one and two, chapter one is like the big list of mythic beasts. Chapter two is ordinary animals who might be perceived as kind of powerful beasts. And each of them, again, it kind of echoes the D&D books because you have sections on the legendary, so the lore surrounding them, description about their behavior, the ecology and everything future fate in this case, because the book is set in the 15th century, what became of it until modern times, image for physical description, role-playing hints if you're actually running one as a character, and then traits, so the average stat block, including powers. The exception to that structure are, of course, the dragons, who get like seven entire pages on their own, practically its own subchapter. But it's a bunch of dragons, too. There's so many dragons and dragon-like things. There used to be actually, there was a standalone game that somebody made, like a World of Darkness spinoff game that was Dragon the something-ing. And I I mean, it's not the kind of thing that you could launch on Storyteller's Vault these days, but I remember it being reasonably popular. I think you could maybe do that still under Dark Pack. Under Dark Pack, sure. But that being said, I do really like the dragon write-up. They lean very hard into the elemental aspect and a lot of the different lore. Mm -hmm. And there is, of course, a sidebar that deals with Changeling, where it says, Dragon hunting is a popular pastime for all Shea knights, though actually finding a dragon to fight is a different matter altogether. Even chimerical dragons should be somewhat rare creatures in a Changeling chronicle. They could appear as powerful servants of one of the character's enemies or as enemies themselves. The appearance of a dragon should always be an important event in a chronicle. To trivialize such a great and powerful beast is to do it a disservice. Dragons need not always be the enemy in a story. Stories of dragons acting as mentors or allies are common in fantasy fiction. Interesting story twists can be developed around a dragon who is at first believed to be an enemy, but in reality wishes only to be left alone. So it can gather its treasure. Yeah, I find when I'm running games, I think it's something to do with the people who play in my games i never used a dragon as like a mindless monster brute it's always been like chimera that's basically kithane level maybe even sort of powerful kithane level npc type that's mm-hmm. like complicated motives and you have to deal with like oh i'll throw in a dragon for that that's 
It's like some cheer dragon. That's... Yeah. As for the periton, um, so the thing with the periton, because again, that was something I had first encountered in D and D, and the riffs. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Uh, the general trope is that it's a winged stag that casts the shadow yeah. of a man until it kills one. Certain games bring in, oh, it might have been from Atlantis. This book includes mm-hmm. that. I think in D&D, it's like it specifically eats the hearts of its victims or something, and it mm-hmm. only hunts murderers. So there's a lot of lore surrounding it. The interesting thing to me, though, is that while it's often presented as this mythic creature that has this long and storied past, I'm pretty sure it was actually created almost out of whole cloth by Jorge Luis Borges in like the 50s for a short story. And people just took it and ran with it and were like, yeah, it's this classic monster. But no, it's completely invented. He said he found it. That was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's that's the thing is that it was like, I mean, a joke. Basically. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, too, is this art is something I've never seen for the Paraton before, where they make them have four limbs, as in there's two hind deer hooves and then like bird wings. And that's it. So it's not like a Pegasus or something. Yeah. I also found in the course of preparing for this episode, this note from Wikipedia. The term periton is also used for radio signals of terrestrial origin that mimic fast radio bursts, pulses that appear to be coming from outside of our galaxy. These peritons were found to be the result of premature opening of a microwave oven door, which releases a frequency-swept radio pulse, which mimics a fast radio burst as the magnetron turns off. So I really want peritons to have, like, food cooking powers of some kind. (laughs) But... That's neither here nor there. With your Wi-Fi, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other two that I just love from the section on the greater beasts are the sea bishop, which is this sort of fish man that lives in the ocean, but is also an expert on Christian theology, or so says the Vatican. And then the simur, which is a Persian oracle bird that speaks all languages and tells the truth. So those two I quite like. Uh, yeah, I, the, the sea bishop just... Yeah. I don't know how... It's like... <laughs> it makes you wonder like what the story was be- like because clearly if that i mean maybe that's another thing that they lifted from borges but mm-hmm. if there is actually a historical uh i don't know i feel like precedent yeah. is the wrong word <laughs> although, although if, calling back to our three up ep- three-part episode on dreams and nightmares i do think this could have just been dropped into like the deep dreaming section but yeah that makes sense yeah it just hangs out with those like Crabmen's and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> there are also, I noticed, uh, Kelpies and Vodunoi, both of which have become kiths in C20. So it does open the possibility that some of these, at least the more humanoid ones, could become proper changelings. Mm-hmm. And then the Lesser Beast chapter, I mean, I think it's kind of useful because it does present a lot of the sort of whimsical lore that you would often encounter. Like, yeah. you know, the pelican pierces her breast to feed her children with her own blood or whatever and you can use the stat box if you're gonna have a lot of puka npcs or pcs even or a zoo chronicle but otherwise it's pretty standard write-ups with not many surprises Mm -hmm. although i think the frog does show up in dreams and nightmares because it also gets those bat wing things and the lipstick yeah frogs with curiously full lips anyway that's chapters one and two chapter three is where we get into the actual character creation And again, there's a sidebar on chimerical characters and changeling. I don't think we need to kind of rehash this too much because, again, a lot of it has been superseded in C20. But I think that 
the first bit of this sidebar is still pretty relevant, where it says, This chapter can be used by storytellers and players who wish to include chimerical characters in their stories and chronicles. The storyteller should carefully consider the possible consequences before he allows a player to create a chimerical character, though, since such beings can change the mood and feel of a chronicle tremendously. The storyteller should also be careful what kind of chimerical creatures he allows in his chronicle. Some of the creatures described in this book may work well for your chronicle, while others may not. And I think that that speaks in particular to the wide variance in power level, as well as the fact that the lore associated with each of these, which I feel would be amplified in the case of a chimerical expression of these beings, a lot of that is kind of directed, you know, in a particular way. So like having a harpy character who is kind of like chill and wants to start a business, like that makes no sense because that's not what a Mm -hmm. harpy is. I think it's difficult to justify having a chimerical character that's invested in actual character growth because they are very archetypal. They are tropes, these beings. That actually does make me think though of a way you could kind of use this book with C20 in a way that wasn't designed for previous changeling with the sort of kith creation guidelines and be like, huh, I'm going to make a kith based on this, right? Yeah. Some of them stretch farther than others for sure. Yeah. But, you know, it's like making a C bishop PC. Yeah, you need a very specific kind of game, like even more niche than Selkies. Yeah. You know? But I mean, <laughs> so. if you were to make it as a as a weird kith that is the basis, then then and you're an actual changeling, that's a little bit more. I think the point is just that if you're a storyteller and a player wants to make a C bishop character who's an ongoing participant in this chronicle that dramatically limits the kinds of stories you can tell. Oh, certainly, yeah, you're gotta so. be, you know, ocean, and I guess Christianity, right? <laughs> Aquatic Catholic game. There you go. I mean, it's a thing. Maybe there's Anglican C bishops now after the <laughs> schism. Then. So the sidebar here also suggests that the special advantages, which are the cool powers that the bygones get can be converted into reads by changing their uh, special advantage cost into a chimera point cost. I actually don't know how I feel about that. And I mean, part of that is because the system of building chimera has changed from second edition Mm -hmm. to C20. A lot of the read points are still pretty similar between second and C20 though, I'd say. That's true. Yeah. But also I think that the powers listed here, I have to kind of look at the system and the math, but I feel like it it's kind of out of whack. Like the reads point for point, I think tend to be a little more powerful. Yeah. And I think also when you're dealing with the reads, when you're dealing with this book, Wilderick in general, but even more when doing that kind of thing, don't expect to be play tested and right. <laughs> be like, if you're, if you're the storyteller and you're like, I think I want to change the point cost, do just change yeah. it, right? If you think it makes more sense with a different point cost, that's yeah, fine. <laughs> Nobody who wrote this book, I guarantee, ran a Sea Bishop Chronicle, and they did definitely did not have like the in depth the amount of choices in here, the in depth amount of yeah. playtesting to get valid statistical results from it. Just did not happen on that publishing schedule or any publishing schedule. So. That being said, I will point out that a lot of the stuff in here, especially the special advantages, I think have been brought into Mage 20 in the Gods and Monsters book as like the familiar powers. Yeah. 
And doesn't that also have player character? I think it also is. Yeah. And in many cases, the familiar can be more powerful than the mage they're associated with. So, I mean, I've also seen that with chimerical companions. That's true. For sure. Well, as an experiment, I tried building two basic characters. So first I wanted to make a dragon. And the thing is, I didn't want to go through all of the dragon stuff for this mini-sode. So I was thinking of the fairy dragons from D&D because they're probably my favorite monster in the game. I've used them in my game as sort of like information brokers stationed around the towns and cities, like a fantasy internet that sometimes not sticks and marbles into your hair. And they're just wonderful. They're house cat-sized dragons with butterfly wings, and they're rainbow-hued and mischievous. They breathe clouds of euphoria gas and they can turn invisible. They prank people and they'll do anything for apple pie. So like what's not to love. So I wanted to kind of run with that and just kind of go through the mechanics of this system and see what came out. So step one is the concept. The book asks for a more robust concept than just dragon. So I went with information broker because why not? And it also, instead of nature and demeanor, it suggests that bygones don't have demeanors because they just are what they are so they just have nature and i'm like well that doesn't make any sense to me but i guess changelings don't have nature and demeanor either technically so mm-hmm. well that, it's not really changing but i could have a big rant about nature and demeanor <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh instead for bygones it suggests elemental affinity so i went with water and one of mm-hmm. the suggested archetypes under that is babbling jester which i thought fit pretty well for attributes in step two It says that the stat blocks presented are meant to be kind of averages. And then for dragons in particular, they're divided up by age. So a hatchling will have much lower stats than a great worm. But for a small dragon, I think just the standard 753 works pretty well. So strength 1, dexterity 3, stamina 2, charisma 4, manipulation 2, appearance 2, perception 3, intelligence 3, wits 4. So a small but smart dragon. Mm -hmm. Step three is abilities, which the book suggests should be geared away from human ones. The dragon write-up has a lot of high stats for things like lore, but the base template is 1174, which is in line with mortals. This is going to be complicated by freebie points later, but for now, uh, Athletics 2. Dodge is still on the sheet because this was second edition, but I just put it in Athletics. Empathy 2 and Flying 3, because flying is a talent here. Acrobatics 2, Illusion 2, which is another new skill, and it's not stealth. It's different somehow. I'm not entirely clear on it. It's like if you're being chased, you can kind of like dart the other way. Oh, it's not Illusion 2. Right. It's neither Illusion nor Illusion, but Illusion. So, or Illusion. Um, Then Etiquette 1 and Hiding 2, because Hiding is also a skill. And then Enigmas (laughs) 2 and Lore 2. So yeah, there's also foraging is also a new ability. Animal speech, which is kind of like... Oh, wait. Some of these, I think, are from either Sorcerer's Crusade, isn't it? Or I mean, they might be they might be in like the companion of secondary abilities, but I don't remember foraging in... Not foraging. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like beast lore. But all of this could clearly be updated for C20 as well. Mm-hmm. Even Kenning. There you go. So then step four is advantages. You get three background points, which can be spent on cool powers, and six points for special advantages, which are the cool powers. So I went with Arcane 2 under backgrounds. For anyone who's not familiar with Mage, it's basically unnoticeability. So not quite 
invisibility, I guess almost like the mists in a sense. It's very similar to the mists, yeah. But it, it, it's on a sliding scale. Yeah. So. so two points of mists. And then the extra point I put into human speech so that the dragon could talk. And then information font where you just kind of know things. And wings, obviously. Another three points. Finishing touches. You start with five points of willpower. You get 21 freebies, and there are merits and flaws. Wait, they all start with five points of willpower? I missed that. Yep. That is a base. So they're all mages' willpower. Yes. <laughs> well, because okay. it's a mage book, so they have to be somewhat aligned with the mage PCs. Yeah, I'm just... <laughs> I don't yeah. know. For merit, I chose fearlessness. And then for flaws, short, which is a small dragon. And then bizarre hunger, which is a two-point flaw. It's a two to five-point flaw, depending on how bizarre your hunger is. And so my dragon has a hunger for pastries. With the freebies, um, I added a few abilities. I put a couple dots into alertness and awareness, foraging, and then one dot each into survival, cosmology, and occult. And then added a couple powers, chameleon coloration to add to the sort of camouflaginess, water breathing, because they are specified in the D&D game to be water breathers. It also suggests some pertinent questions that could be asked as like part of a prelude or whatever. Uh, my favorites are, how do you feel about humans? What do you eat? And what do you consider polite? Which I think that last one is actually... That's great for a changeable game. There's so much. Yeah. And there's some other new merits and flaws like homing instinct or no dexterous limbs. But otherwise, mm. it's a fairly standard character creation template, I would say. And I, I, I guess it's useful. <laughs> Yeah. You could probably adapt some of the merits and flaws for changeling characters. Um, yeah. I mean, Bizarre Hunger, why not? Give it to a red cap. I think some of these did show up in changeling with different names, maybe, but. Mm -hmm. I also very briefly tried statting a Pokemon, as discussed on the Discord, and I chose Pikachu because Pikachu, I choose you. So for concept, loyal companion, there's no electric elemental affinity, but let's go with metal because one of the subtypes is Bright Thinker. So I'm like, yeah, that, that fits. Why not? For attributes, we've got Strength 2, Dex 3, Stamina 3, Charisma 3, Manipulation 1, Appearance 2, because Pikachu is cute but earnest. Perception 4, Intelligence 2, Wits 4. Then for abilities, Alertness 3, Athletics 3, Brawl 3, Empathy 2, Acrobatics 3, Stealth 2, Survival 2, and Animal Speech 4, because none of those knowledges seemed to fit. I can't recall Pikachu ever expounding on the occult, but maybe I missed that episode of the anime. He just he does say Pikachu very eloquently. So It's true, and he says it in so many hundreds of different ways. There must be some kind of secret of the universe in there somewhere. Yeah. For the backgrounds, I just did Allies 1 for the trainer, obviously, and then put the other two into Cool Powers. So starting with Elemental Touch and immunity, which is elemental touch. You can kind of suss out and vaguely control your element, in this case, electricity, and then immunity to electricity. For the finishing touches, I just gave him the one point merit of loyalty and then dumped, oh, and also one point of awareness, and then dumped everything else into cool powers to give him claws, and then 15 points for hazardous breath. And breath, in this case, can be like any other kind of projected weapon in this case, electricity. Yeah, so that's his lightning. Yeah. Yeah. So with 15 points in that, it would be roll dex plus brawl to do a three health level electric attack. 
But that's what I mean about the power level seeming kind of low. Like, yeah, that seems really low. Yeah. That's like small handgun or something. Right. Like, and that's that's like almost all of the freebie points. <laughs> yeah, and I was also thinking like, so you can make him, but maybe not with starting character points. Yeah. Some of the Pokemon. I think the M20 rules might be a little bit more robust for making Pokemon yeah. and maybe some of the other sort of familiar type. Yeah. Like I was thinking like I was going like the extra powers as reads and like, yeah, as an inspiration, I like shared knowledges, but there's a few nitpicky one. And one of it is it's way overpriced for what it does. So. Yeah. But it would be interesting idea where you can share your thoughts and knowledges with your chimerical companion. If you're going to do it that way, there is a bond sharing advantage which is definitely in the m20 book okay um, and that's a little bit where at least you can share senses and like go where your familiar goes and vice versa mm-hmm. but, yeah this is like sharing knowledge and stuff so it's like you're like yeah just play my chimerical companion as me for a bit. so overall i think what this book brings is more the focus on lore rather than the somewhat clunky mechanics I almost kind of want to adapt the mechanics for C20 to provide an alternative to Lycians and Companions, but I'd have to think about how to differentiate it from the existing creation rules in terms of balance. But I like, as as we said, metaphysically, I like that they are fundamentally a different type of being. They're not just Mm -hmm. Chimera. They have this corporeal component and kind of working around that. Does that mean they could be... uh go through that have gone through the other way the changeling way and like you get kithane or merfolk bygonane bygonane merfolk sea popes sea yeah. bishops well one of the sea bishops must have ascended to the sea papacy by now yeah the sea cardinals yeah anyway what did you think overall yeah i thought it was a stretch saying how the sidebars and stuff talking about in your change the game. I'm like, maybe it would have been nice to back that up a little bit outside of the sidebars, a bit more help on that. It is useful, like as a world of darkness book generally. I mean, I, I don't know. I think you could put throw some of this into a vampire game if you really wanted to. But like, <laughs> a very particular kind. Well, I mean, you could have a Tremere hunting down a unicorn for use in a ritual or something. And it's yeah. like, okay, you need to stat a unicorn. Or maybe you just want to have the vampires trying to stop the Tremere who actually want to befriend and protect the unicorn. So yeah. Your wraith haunt's been inhabited by a manticore and that's an unusual problem or yeah. demons coming across it. Or I guess you could do something with mummy probably too. Like it's, it's, I think for changeling it thematically it works, but like it, it doesn't really fit better for changeling than any other non-mage game, I think. Yeah. Sort of tangential to that, we do have one Discord question where Luis Armander asks, I'm wondering if you've used bygones in Changeling games and if you've tried to translate the powers in this book as reeds or banes. Mm-hmm. So putting aside the question of banes, because those, I think, didn't even exist in Changeling at no. this point. So I did make a full-on dragon once for a game many years ago, and I didn't even bother translating its powers. I didn't even bother turning into a chimera. Yeah. And I don't think you really need to, but you... If you feel the need to have it make sense metaphysically for your game, you can. I just don't think they can be easily converted. But I, I think that's kind of that's kind of the lesser point. What's more useful from this book than the modular sort of build your own system 
which I can see the value in harmonizing with existing ones, but mm-hmm. that's that's secondary to all of the background information and what motivates dragons? What are they after? Why would they appear in your chronicle? How will they behave? All of that information is more important. And I think like you can use the stat block that's provided and have a truly terrifying enemy, or you can go through the legwork of converting it all into reads and you'll probably still have a terrifying enemy, but it'll Mm -hmm. be different. That's kind of my feel for me i i hadn't read this book before we were doing it for the podcast so <laughs> i have not used it in a game Fair. um i think this actually might be for what it covers the way it's presented feels more useful for a changeling game what you're talking about the lore and whatnot mm-hmm. than a random D book or other role-playing game supplement or wikipedia yeah. entry or do you remember i don't know if it's still a thing do you remember like these books that were coming out that were like pop-up books for adults really although kids still like them and it was like these gaming book sized books full color with pop-up stuff and it was all like this one's about dragons this one's about like other certain other types of monsters this one's about it has like all this little detailed stuff i don't recall that but i will put in a plug for the book a diversity of dragons which was written by Anne mccaffrey and i think illustrated by yeah. i want to say john howe beautifully illustrated and it's this I'll, I'll leave it open i'll leave the question open as to whether it's autobiographical but it's basically Anne mccaffrey sitting around having conversations with two friends and just recounting stories about dragons from all mm-hmm. over the world from mythology from literature from mm-hmm you know, mass market yeah. fiction. And uh, yeah, it was it was very instructive to me as a young adult. Yeah, this, this was a fad about 15 years ago, I'd say. There's like a bunch mm. of them in the... And I'd say this is more useful. So that was very in-depth and involved, but it was very opinionated on a setting. And <laughs> I always kept thinking, this should be a role... These should be role-playing game supplements, but there's no role-playing... There's no stats, there's no that but it's so specific to a setting this one it's fits better because it's world of darkness i think like it feels like it would fit well into into your changeling game because it's still fits in the broader world of darkness i think so yeah i do wish there was more actually more bygones yeah i wish like chapter one was just like there was just a book of just the chapter one but just more and more things like that And I like that they called it the bestiary because that's what a bestiary is like. I mean, it focuses not on, it doesn't care about the balance between the creatures. It just says, here's 16 Mm -hmm. wild stories about basilisks, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I just wish I had more of them, more of these things, which is not a knock on the book. It's just at all. Oh, we had one other question. I think kind of got by Vanek. How easy would it be to make a swamp cat? Straight forward i guess yeah i mean the system is very broad it's not exhaustive but it's very open to i mean the pokemon experiment was kind of meant to demonstrate like at this point there's like what umpteen hundred pokemon out there yeah so yeah overall impressions i would not say it's necessary for your game but if you have it i wouldn't kick it off the shelf yeah you you may want to look into it if you're running a game maybe less so if you're playing but who knows let us know how it goes well chimerical companion ideas for your character pc you could also actually Mm. ideas there or allies yeah so minisode complete 
You can find our website, uh, changeinthepodcast.com. You can find our Discord. We can chat with us, discord.me slash ctp. You can patronize us, be our patron, uh, at patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. Uh, you're on, on our Facebook, Changeling the Podcast Facebook page, and uh, send us to on Mastodon, changelingpod at dice.camp. And also check out our shiny new YouTube channel, Changeling the Podcast which should be live at, at the time this gets released. <laughs> yes, and all the links will be in the show notes. Yes. So once again, I'm Josh. I will choose to identify as Puka, although I'm kind of leaning towards some other kind of fairy dragon name. But yeah, I'll, just, mm. I'll stick with it. And uh, if you find yourself getting hit with unbelief, just wear a really thick trench coat and a wide brim hat. Meddle not in the affairs of dragons, for you are crunchy and taste good with ketchup.